So I'll look at my own neighborhood and I'll discover vegan restaurants, vegetarian restaurants in my own neighborhood that I didn't know existed. And it's, our, our database is constantly updated. So we, we're, we're constantly growing. Welcome to the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show with your host, Jerry Saber. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 22 of the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show. My name is Jerry Saver, and this is the podcast for you if you're looking for inspiration and ideas on how to get started, or if you want to learn more about the skills to run a successful plant-based business. Now, first of all, I want to thank everyone who's subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and on Stitcher Radio. And if, if you like what you're hearing, I would love for you to leave us a review there because that way even more people get to find out about this show and listen in. But if you're already using those podcast services, please make sure that you check out our site, theplantbasedentrepreneur.com anyway, because we just released our first insider report on business opportunities in 2017. So you have an overview of seven of the biggest plant-based sectors right now. So the markets with the biggest potential, you can see the amount of competition in each of them, the funding requirements to get you started and the biggest challenges you can expect to face. And you can find that report for free on our website, theplantbasedentrepreneur.com. And if you're already a member of the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Insider list, it should be in your inbox already. So with that said, let's transition to the interview. Today, I'm talking to Ken Spector, who's the co-owner of Happy Cow. Now, if you're vegan, that site probably doesn't need any introduction at all. But just in case you don't know it, it's the largest and oldest online listing slash search engine for vegan, vegetarian and veg friendly restaurants in the world. And what it basically does is you, you enter your location and it'll tell you all the options that you have nearby. So as I said, Ken is a co-owner, but he also has a wealth of business and life experience from marketing psychology to web design to organic gardening. And before Happy Cow, he's worked for companies like Microsoft and Hollywood.com. So I'm expecting a pretty interesting conversation today. Ken, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you so much, Jerry. Well, thank you for joining me. Um, as a bit of a background, when when I was thinking about doing an interview about Happy Cow, I was initially talking to to the other co-owner, Eric, who who I believe is the founder of Happy Cow. But because um, Eric himself told me that he's not a very, I think he uses the term, he's just not a business person. And <laughs> That's, I, I, you could say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, He's just happier for um, for Ken to be representing the company, which you can definitely see if if you can check out their um, their YouTube channel where he does interviews with people. But we're we're gonna get into all of that just a little later. And now, to to give our listeners a bit of a background on you, Ken, what what shaped you into the person you are today, and how how exactly did you get to veganism? Uh, into veganism. It was way back in 1991-92. I was trying to be the best possible person that I could be. Um, you know, I, I just wanted to change my life. I, was, I didn't have any health problems at the time, but I realized that any habit that I would form at that age would probably end up being habits that I would have for life. So I ended up going to bookstores constantly, and I went to this one bookstore and ended up finding a book called Fit for Life by a physiologist and his wife, the Diamonds. It was called Fit for Life. And I picked up this book, and it was talking about uh, vegetables and fruits, but mostly fruits and how we're dehydrated after a, night's, uh, a night of rest. We wake up dehydrated, how fruits are the optimal thing you should eat in the morning. Um, this book made a lot of sense to me from a physiological standpoint. I had already stopped eating meat, a lot of meat. Uh, I stopped eating chicken when I was around seven years old. Had a bad experience of getting a, a vein caught in my teeth. I don't know if anyone's ever had that experience. It's, um, I've actually, it's horrible. I've actually had a guest 
tell the exact same story about chicken a couple months yeah. ago. So yeah, it, well, it seems yeah. to be more common than you'd think. Yeah. So, you know, my mom and my dad gave me a bit of a hard time because I was one of these really picky eaters that after that experience did not want to eat chicken anymore. I then had an experience, I was a little bit older, I had an experience with lobster. I remember opening up a lobster and there was this green slime in the lobster. And I think that, I, I don't even want to know what that is. It probably it either has to do with a pregnancy or I, I don't know. But anyway, I opened it up. I saw that done with lobster. So the meat or flesh itself was actually talking to me, telling me that it probably it should not be eaten. So, you know, it's just time after time now. I think the last thing that I finally ate was probably hamburgers because it was so massed. It was so chopped up that you really couldn't see what it was. But uh, I had already started. I was eating salad bar in high school, you know. Um, so I was I was already sort of on that path of eating more healthfully um, by the time I got to high school. But, uh, yeah, that book really that, that I have to give credit to that book because once I read it, it made a lot of sense physiologically. And I just at that point just said, I'm going to stop eating meat. Now, I was in Virginia at the time, uh, and Virginia at that time, I don't think there were any vegan or vegetarian restaurants. I didn't know any vegans or vegetarians, but I just mm -hmm. thought that this was to do, and so mm -hmm. that's what I did. So, yeah. Right. So I'm, I'm just trying to imagine the, the kind of child who who prefers salads to, to everything else. So what... How did your parents take that, or what was their influence on on your choice of food? So my my dad to this day is a major meat eater. He eats a lot of meat. My mother, on the other hand, um, she was always a person who would always include vegetables at every meal. She would always include a salad at every meal. So you know, I was exposed to salad at a very young age. I thought everyone started a meal with salad, like a green salad. So you know, sort of. So my mom you know, definitely had influence on me. However, we would always have meat. She now claims, if I ask her, that the reason she put, even put meat on the table every time was because my dad liked meat. So I ended up, uh, I was exposed to it really early. Um, so I, I had an affinity towards vegetables and I always loved fruits. Um, I will admit I loved uh, sugar, a lot of sugar, which I don't eat much of anymore, but I, I did like meat as well. Uh, it um, So I was exposed early and then I just started to you just continue with with uh, sort of what my mom had trained, but without the meat. Cool. And what what you said earlier about your, your transition to veganism when you realize that the habits that you are developing at that point will probably stick with you for, for the rest of your life. That's, um, yes. you know, that's it's actually a very uncommon way of thinking as well. It's obviously it's completely true, but it's not many people that can just reach yeah. that conclusion, especially not completely on their own i'd say yeah i always thought i was much older than i was i remember when i was 18 i i thought i was really old so i thought time was moving really quickly and one day i would wake up and i would become 60 years old or 70 years old and i would be you know not necessarily fat but really unhealthy i just had this uh this prediction that if i were to go down the path that i was going down that things wouldn't look as you know, as brilliant as I aged. And so I really wanted to just create sort of a better life for myself. Again, I'm one of the rare people that became vegan at that age, not because of health problems, not even fully because of animal rights. It just, it was really, well, you know, I'd stopped eating meat because meat looked disgusting and I realized it was animals, but it was also just, yes, I was looking at things differently um, than, than most people around me. Um, I didn't have any vegan friends, as I mentioned. Uh, I didn't know... I don't think I even knew of any vegans. I don't even know if I knew the word vegan. I think basically I knew that meat was disgusting and I knew that this book painted this brilliant picture of fruit and vegetables and how they change your physiology. And I also remember, you know, at, at one point in the book, the guy, the guy was saying that, you know, meat takes so long to digest and is taxing to your system and vegetables. Like I remember reading that melon digest so easily in about 15 minutes in the stomach. So it just sort of made sense to me. It wasn't, I, I didn't have any vegans influencing me. And again, I don't think I knew the word vegan at that time. I probably knew the word vegetarian, but uh, I just knew that I wanted to be healthy or the healthiest person I could be. And it's, this book described the sort of the embodiment of health, what health meant and what, what, what health could help you with in life. And I just remember saying, okay, I'm going to take this path. 
So that was back in 1991. How, how did that... 1990, well, I think it was around 91, 92. I remember I was making the transition yeah. right around that. How did that affect your your life, not not just personally, but professionally? Because at, at that point, what, what were you doing? Where where were you? Well, you know, at that point, you know, I wasn't working yet. So I didn't, uh, you know, I, as far as professionally, didn't I, I don't know what impact it would have had at that point. But as far as friendships go... Um, I remember soon thereafter, I moved to California, and I remember actually finding you know, a couple of people. I told them that I wasn't eating meat, and they said they knew of a couple of restaurants. So I got to try a couple of early on uh, restaurants in Los Angeles. That was a really early days. I don't know how many vegan or vegetarian restaurants there were, but there were not many at all. Um, I remember one was like an Asian restaurant, and it was it was all, and I thought it was really cool to be able to just eat mock meat, you know, because I never had that before. Um, so as far as like changing my early days, you know, back back then, I remember I, I became more aware sort of of the environment. And um, at that point, I was sort of trying to get into Hollywood. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why I moved to Los Angeles, because my cousin was doing a big television show at the time. And, and I just thought, wow, that would be cool to use my business degree to get more into Hollywood. But I, I started to sort of hang around more vegans. I started to go on hikes with the Sierra Club, and I started to hang out with other vegans in the area. And I found that you know there were actually vegans in Los Angeles, which were or vegetarian at least in Los Angeles. So I started to try mock meats. Uh, at I remember this Chinese restaurant on Wilshire. There was a Chinese restaurant that's no longer there, but it was all vegetarian. I thought that was really cool. But in 1995, I remember it was a big transition. It was around 95, 96. I was invited to this party at a raw food restaurant called Oxygen up on Sunset. And I went to this restaurant and I remember trying all of these gourmet raw foods. And I was blown away. I could not believe that these foods were not cooked. Um, the desserts were some of the best desserts I had ever had. They were all vegan. And I started to take uh, raw food classes, uh, raw food preparation classes with John Wood, who at the time was working with Woody Harrelson. Uh, and I think Woody Harrelson was partial owner of that restaurant. And I ended up taking classes with this guy on a regular basis to learn raw food cuisine. I then became a raw foodist after that for years. I was a raw foodist, vegan. And uh, when my oven broke, around that time, probably 96, 97, I never replaced it. And to this day, I don't have an oven. I just have a dehydrator. I have my blender. Um, yeah, I just have equipment basically to make raw foods at home. Now, I do eat out some cooked vegan when I go out, but at home, I'm pretty much a, uh, a raw foodist. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally get you. And, you know, it's it's kind of the way that we, we eat as well, not completely raw, but... What we cook is usually just a very, very simple right. like yes. rice and then heaps of veggies to go with that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I've learned over the years, I mean, you know, because I've studied so much about diet. Um, I, I follow this guy, Dr. Gregor, Dr. Michael Gregor, who's an amazing resource for any of, the, of you out there who haven't heard of him on nutritionfacts.org. Just an amazing uh, re reference. But I've learned a lot about diet since mm -hmm. then. And so I try to stay away from the processed foods. And, you know, I try to have low sugar. I, I don't have sugar in my place. I don't have oil in my place. I use dates for my sugar. And for my oil, I'll just blend up nuts of some sort in a dressing. And so I've, I've gone much further with the, the vegan diet. At that time, I really didn't know enough about it to know where to go. And did, did you at that point have any business ideas related to the vegan diet like were were you considering ways of of making this part of of your job as well or did, did that come much later well yeah that, that actually came quite a bit later i really didn't know how to make money from it i thought well do i do i have a stand at a farmer's market i mean it'd be really cool to have health food like that maybe i could like grow some produce and sell it at a farmer's market or uh, maybe I could, you know, I, I just didn't see people around me making money with the vegan diet. I mean, these were early days. Now I did see some people like people were opening up restaurants, but I realized soon after they opened, they were closing, you know, this oxygen club might've been open for a year or two and then it closed. So I thought, well, if I get involved with a restaurant that's vegan, it might be difficult to make money from it. 
But, you know, I always had in the back of my mind, I was, you know, I've been an eco vegan kind of guy, I ride my bike everywhere. So um, I just didn't really know how to make money from it. So, yeah. What, what were you doing at that point? At that point, I was, uh, I was actually interviewing celebrities for Microsoft on camera. I was doing a lot of live interviews. I was designing websites uh, for a living. So I was designing websites. I was interviewing celebrities. At one point, I was working at uh, ABC Pictures over at ABC Television. So I was working mostly entertainment, uh, doing a lot of interviews, producing celebrity galas for uh, charity, for cancer research, co-producing those. Um, so I was doing, you know, work uh, that was that was beneficial to society. But I, you know, was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And how? How did you end up with Happy Cow then? Because you're you're doing interviews here, and then now now you're the co-owner of of Happy Cow. How how long after that got started did you get involved? Well, yeah, I actually met Eric Brent, uh, maybe seven seven years ago, maybe more, maybe eight years ago, maybe six years ago. I, I don't really know the exact date, but I was at a raw food restaurant of all places in Santa Monica, and I was eating my lunch, and this guy walked in and he said, oh, um, you know, I'm owner of Happy Cow. And I said, oh, cool. You know, I knew the site. Um, it was it was always the, the site that came up when I searched for websites on finding vegan food and vegetarian food. By the way, it's also the, the number one health food store guide in the world. So it's not limited to just, just restaurants. And uh, we, we didn't start working with each other at that time, but we just saw each other. And then I ran into him another time a little bit after that and then he just was sort of looking for someone to do maybe some ad sales and do some things for the site and i just you know came up with a lot of suggestions on how to improve the site and i, I saw this as an opportunity to get involved more in the vegan scene and help to grow uh a site that it was it was very small i mean the site at that time even if you remember maybe even three or four years ago the site didn't have a professional look to it um it was it was pretty much much of a labor of he was hand coding it and it was just just a guy it was very simple and it's grown tremendously yeah um i i actually remember that even into the you know early early years of this decade and then on it was just it had this old school feel to it like really time, one yes. old school list of everything that's right. Well, I mean, the purpose of the site has always been for Eric and then the people uh, and now myself to find vegan options around the world. And Eric is not what you would call a designer. Uh, he's a person who is a devoted vegan. He's been vegan for a little bit longer than I have been vegan. And it was just a labor of love to help people to find vegan vegetarian restaurants around the world. Um, Initially, the site back in 1999, when it started, was just basically a thing where Eric was in Asia and he had a girlfriend, you know, at the time in Asia, and he was sort of complaining to her about not being able to find vegan restaurants in China, and he was getting sick of not being able to find vegan options, and he was disgusted by the way animals were treated. So he sort of hand coded the site and just uploaded like restaurants to a website so that if people went to these places, they could find restaurants. Now, it wasn't dynamic. You couldn't enter and I couldn't enter restaurants. It was just sort of from one, one way. So he thought, hey, I'll just create a guide where people email me with a restaurant and I'll add it to the list. Those were early days. And those early days sort of progressed, you know, where, where the site wasn't progressing that quickly. Um, but then, you know, veganism itself started to pick up. More and more people became vegan. More and more people started to use the website. And then it just started to explode where, you know, it became dynamic. And then in the later, you know, 2008, 2009, uh, 2008 period, the, the app started, you know, a little bit later. Um, and now the app has become incredibly popular, you know, for, for people on the go to use the Android and the iPhone app. So it sort of started off as something just as innocent as helping people to find vegan restaurants and has now grown into a more of an interactive tool where there's more of a community. Um, so we have a cookbook, um, we have the apps, um, we have some t-shirts like the one that I'm wearing. Um, and we're just, and we, you know, just trying to fund the site through everything from ad sales to uh, app sales. 
And that's, you know, that's tricky, you know, trying to get money basically that goes right back into the creation and of the website and the building of the website. So pretty much all the money go, that go, comes in goes right back into the website to create this service for everyone. So before we just, before we get to the numbers, how, how did you actually get involved with, with Happy Cow itself and, and with Eric? You said you met him, but you, you didn't really start working with him right away. Oh no, I didn't start I, I work with Eric right away. At that time, at that time, the, the site was uh, was it was established. It wasn't nearly as big as it is now. You know, it was still relatively low traffic. And you know, I went in um, with him. I remember even the latest iteration or design of the website. This is definitely, if you look at HappyCow.com now, it's the most professional look that we've ever had. To hotel with, with Eric, and we were just like, well, you know, he's like, I don't know what to do. You know, the designers aren't quite hitting the ideas and I don't know what to do. So I just sat down myself and just started to graph out exactly what the site would look like. And now it looks like what we basically envisioned it as, as a picture of food on top with like all, you know, just the look is sort of what we envisioned at that point in that hotel room. And so that's where the word is today. Awesome. And how now that we can get to the numbers, how, how did the um, user base grow and where, where is it right now? Oh, I mean, right now we get about 70 million page views a year, about 2 million user visitors a month. Um, back then, it was it was almost negligible initially. I mean, it started off where, I mean, first of all, people would have to look for vegan restaurants. And so it's just, it's, it's, it's exponential growth, you could say. Um, now there are, you know, we're in 181 countries now. I think there are, uh, what are there, 191 in the world? We don't have North Korea yet. I'm, I'm trying to get at least one listing in North Korea. If you know of anyone in North Korea, I don't even know how to contact anyone in North Korea. We would like at least one listing in North Korea. But there are a couple of places that we don't have listed. But you know, the number of listings has gone up. I remember when it was uh, it was like 130, 120. You know, the number of countries that have listings now has grown tremendously. Our audience has grown tremendously. It's all exponential growth, and it is still exploding. Do, do you know how many places you have on it? Not not countries, but actual restaurants. Uh, oh, right now, I'll have to get back to you. And I figure I had it in my mind, but I don't have the figure right now. But we do have uh, a lot of a lot of listings. I can I can get back to you on that. Right. That I, I would love to know that. Now, okay. Yes. So at this point, you are co-creating Happy Cow, um, and you said that. Pretty much all, all the money that the site makes is being reinvested. So what, what's the actual business model behind it? How, how does it run okay. and how, how does it get okay. monetized? Okay. So, you know, we have a number of uh, ambassadors around the world. Uh, they're voluntary. Uh, we just can't afford to pay them. Uh, and they do, they're people of passion. Uh, these are people that help us to sort of uh, keep the list sales on the site as well as on the app a company can sponsor the app uh, we have let's see here we sell our book our happy cow cookbook so a, a majority of our money does come from app sales now and from ad sales uh, and that is the, basically the model that we have right now um, we're possibly looking to get into some other things where we sell, you know, other products because we find that we have such a large audience and we have over 120,000 uh, members of our Muzi newsletter and we're able to sort of email them on occasion with offers and things like that. So, yeah, we do have that. Uh, we do have that um, as far as our model goes. We, we're selling the apps and the ads mostly. Right. And th does it have like a permanent staff besides the the ambassadors yeah we're very virtual we're very virtual we all basically work where we're from i mean we have a we programmer right now i don't even know where he lives now I, I, he was he was living in uh in asia i think he's still living in asia you know he, he sort of moves all over the world we have a couple of programmers uh in asia and then we have uh we were working with some guys in poland so we we virtually were able to sort of put the, the website together and the app together and code the app it's a lot more work than it seems i mean for every time we have to do something for instance i mean if you look at the app if we have to add time that restaurants uh put a little green light on when the restaurants are open we have to recode it we have to sort of add all of these functionalities so 
it's a constant work. We have a, a list of things online that we are constantly working on to help to improve the website, improve the app. And it's, it's just an ongoing process. It doesn't seem that way to people, but if you look at where the site was to where it is now, it's a tremendous amount of work just to code the site and to code the app. So, so that's what we're doing. Yeah. How do you decide for those changes? I mean, do, do you get user feedback for what, what would be good to have and how, Actually, what, what kind of changes are you seeing in, in the way that people interact with the site and, and the app? Yeah, um, well, we, we hear feedback all the time. Whether we implement it or not is sort of based on a bit of a democracy. I mean, we try to ask our ambassadors what they think. Um, we do take suggestions. We do love suggestions on an ongoing basis. We do try to implement all of them. If we have the time and we have the resources, we do implement them. And if we, you know, if we think that these are valuable uh, additions to the website, um, I'm sorry. What was the other part of the question? Um, the other part of the question is: Have you seen like many differences in the way people use the website or use the app? Because right now, with with the growth of the on-demand economy, people are getting more and more used to not just looking for information, but actually getting things by just clicking a few things on, on their phone. So are, are you seeing any differences in, in the way that they're using the information? With okay, okay. Um, yeah, so we have about 500,000 downloads. Uh, uh, that's with free version, paid version, uh, uh, and our free version on the Android, and then are also our, our iPhone app. Um, and so a lot of the people that used to use happycow.com are now moving over to our app. Uh, that's become very uh, you know, prominent as far as a model goes. And with the iPhone and with our paid version on the Android, which is well worth it because there are many more features, uh, we do have a lot of our audience, we find it is migrating over to mobile. Um, people are using us on the go when they travel. And that's it, it, our uh, app is often voted as one of the top five to 10 uh, traveling apps on iTunes. If you look right now, I don't know what it is right now, but it's usually in the top 10 of travel apps uh, on iTunes. So yeah, a lot of our audience is using it as a, a travel app where they can find vegan restaurants on the go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that's awesome. I mean, if and that's top 10 overall in, in travel apps. Yes, uh -huh. that's correct. Wow, wow. That, that, that's really impressive. Um, another thing that Eric was mentioning when he was down here in Mexico was that he, he was always looking and open to, to new business collaborations. Yes. And like what, what, what kind of things is Happy Cow growing into? You, you were mentioning that you, you are the largest listing of not just restaurants, but stores as well. So yes, what, yes, what yes. else is there and what, what other potential exists? Well, I mean, now, as far as partnerships, I mean, we're actually working with a lot of the, like we're working with uh, Green Festival. Green Festival is the largest green festival in the U.S. And we're working with various festivals around the world to help to promote Happy Cow. Um, we, a, a lot of, oh, we're, we're working with, um, we're, we're working with like vegan societies and things like that that help promote Cross sort of cross pollinate ideas. Um, we're right now we're looking for perhaps products and things that we can get into to sell. So we are going to be working with some product kind of relationships that we have to help to promote Happy Cow. And we're also looking to uh, develop sort of co-branding type sites. Or, or um, we we have an API, what's called an API or data feed, and we're looking to get our data feed into other sites so that our data can sort of appear in your format on your website so that people don't have to leave your website, but they can obtain our data through your website. Mm -hmm. So we're right. looking you know, at marketing and also business relationships. That's that's awesome. So I'm, I'm assuming that anyone who, who has a good idea and going in that direction should just get in touch and, and pitch it? Or, I mean, if if it aligns with um, yeah, the Yeah, I mean, we, we're always looking for ideas. So yeah, I mean, People send us ideas all the time and then Eric usually forwards them to me and I take a look at them and we determine mutually whether it might be something that we should check out or not. You know, it's uh, it's all we're, we're there's there's limited bandwidth. Um, we we work quite hard. We don't make a lot of money, 
because as I mentioned, we do put a lot of the money that we make or most of the money that we make right back into the website to build it. Um, we turn down a number of business partners. Most of them, I hate to say, but they have the meat standard or two cheese or they want to perhaps get more involved with a vegan to perhaps add credibility to their one vegan product when every other one of their products is a meat-based product. So we, uh, you know, it's funny because actually it's not funny. <laughs> end up, or I end up turning down more business propositions than than uh, than I handle it. Even as far as people coming us to give us money to advertise on the site, I usually go through their site. So we are very particular as to who we deal with. But if it's a vegan company, come at us. We want we want you. Nice. Yeah. That's um, good to know for, for everyone who, who's listening and does have a vegan company and does have a good idea. So just get in touch. But since we're now talking about business and you you said you, you just pulled up the um, the statistics for, for the site, how many visitors, I have the latest how many listings that, do you have? Yeah. I have the very latest statistics. So the total listings right now on Happy Cow is 51,554 listings. Wow. Yes, so that's the total listings. The total registered members is 122,796. Wow. So that 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 is a lot. <laughs> 51,000 that of course that's not just vegan restaurants, that's also restaurants that do offer vegan options, but still it's it's amazing. And I have to say even looking for for options around where where we live, it's kind of like I, I know some of the places, but some were just a complete surprise. You know, I I found a vegan vegetarian Hare Krishna restaurant like two blocks from our house that I had no idea was even there. Yeah. I mean, one of the benefits of using Happy Cow, and one of the reasons I love this site is I discover places myself because people, restaurants write to us all the time and let us know that they're op they opened up their restaurant yesterday. So I'll look at my own neighborhood and I'll discover vegan restaurants, vegetarian restaurants in my own neighborhood that I didn't know existed. And it's our, our database is constantly updated. Um, we do have, as I mentioned, ambassadors all over the world who help us to keep the site updated. So that's really helpful. Um, and we also uh, just have restaurants themselves submitting uh, new submissions. So we, we're, we're constantly growing. Yeah, and now that we're speaking about growth of, of the business, do, do you have any data on... What what is the growth of vegan businesses and restaurants in the United States and and globally throughout these years? Because my impression is that's that's exponential as well. Yeah, it is exponential. Um, there were, I think, uh, I, I have the stat. I don't have it up right now. I'm trying to remember it from my speech that I've given around the world. But it 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 has been exponential growth. It went from like 800 to 8,000 listings. Uh, as far as vegan restaurants go, it, it was incredible. It was literally a straight spike, straight up, and it's still growing. I mean, I'll tell you this: that um, let me let me give you an idea because I, I worked on this just two days ago. Um, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. We had someone had done for us a density, sort of a density graph of where the densest vegan capitals are around the world. And he did it about six months ago. Well, I looked at his chart six months ago. And I'm actually going to bring this up right now, uh, about six months ago. And then I saw it again, uh, or I worked on it again two days ago. And the amount of restaurants, like in Bogota, I think it was 17 in Bogota, 17 vegan restaurants six months ago. Now it's 45. <laughs> so it's, and I was it's, like, what is going on? Now, I was in Bogota two months ago, mm. and it was a great place to go for vegan restaurants. I really enjoyed myself. I'll just now that we're talking about density, what in in numbers and and in the order, what cities have the largest numbers of of vegan restaurants in the world? In the world, well, there are places like New York City, which is a massive city. There are the boroughs of New York. There's Brooklyn, which is actually considered another city in of itself. But uh, as far as the number one cities in the world, I just put this list together two days ago, so I I don't have it memorized yet, but so New York City has the most vegan restaurants in the world. New York City. There's 108 vegan restaurants in New York. Uh, number two is Berlin, Germany, with 81 vegan restaurants. Uh, number three, Tokyo, Japan. There are 73 vegan restaurants. 
Number four, London, England with 62. Number five, Los Angeles with 60 vegan restaurants. Then we have Toronto with 58, Portland with 56, Sao Paulo, Brazil, which just jumped into the top. <laughs> okay. Now. We have to start investigating that. Uh, and then how, we have how many Paris. in Sao Paulo? In Sao Paulo? Yeah. I, I've not been, no, but it, it's on my radar now. How, but how, how many restaurants? 50, vegan. 50. Exclusively yeah. vegan wow. restaurants. And then Paris, I was just in Paris a few months ago, uh, back in October, actually, there's 49 vegan restaurants. And then Bogota is number 11 with, uh, I'll just give you a, a, the top 11. Uh, Bogota has now 45 and Bogota had 17 just like six months ago. So they're exploding in the scene too. But if you look at density um, of, of the top 10, the one that has the, the most density would probably be, let's see here. Well, Paris actually, uh, they have a good density and uh, Portland has a really good density. Uh, probably the, uh, of the top 10, Portland is the most is the most densely populated uh, vegan capital as far as the most vegan restaurants per <laughs> Yeah. Wow, that, that, that's definitely surprising in a lot of ways. Like uh, I would not expect London to have more vegan restaurants than LA. And yes. I would definitely not expect to see two South American uh, places in, in that list. Yeah. Now, the list is a little bit misleading because that's the number of vegan restaurants on Happy Cow in those cities. But remember, Tokyo has a lot of people. It's a huge city. Uh, L.A. is a huge city. Uh, so um, as far as population density goes, um, we're, we also I have a, a chart or a, a, a line in this graph, which also shows the density. So as I mentioned, Portland, if you were to look at how many vegan restaurants there are per person in the city, there are a lot of vegan restaurants you know, per person in the city. If you looked at the population density of like Tokyo, it's not a very densely populated vegan capital. There's, there's a lot of vegan restaurants, but it's a massive city. So you know, that's why I say if you're vegan and you really want to you know, just walk around to all the vegan restaurants, I'd say Warsaw, Poland is again my choice uh, because you don't have to have a car. You can just park or stay right by uh, the main, the main structure, I don't even know what it's called, by the Marriott area of the city. And you can just walk to all of these vegan restaurants. It's about 45 of them. So you can, uh, you can check those out. Is it 45 or 42? Let me see here. Poland, Warsaw. Is it Warsaw even in our top 10 anymore? I don't think so. See, Warsaw, I, I don't even think is in the top 10. But yet, here, Warsaw's got 42 vegan restaurants. But again, it's quite densely populated. And it's not even per person. It's this section of the city that's densely populated. It's not as though the entire city of Warsaw has vegan restaurants. So you can't go by numbers alone. You have to go by what I'm saying, because <laughs> I've been to these places, all of them, all the top 10. So I can sort of know which places are the best places to go. Density. Density gotcha. is where it's Tokyo. at. Tokyo. Tokyo has a lot of potential from, from what I'm hearing. Yeah, but again, Tokyo is such a big city. Um, I actually found it really difficult without Happy Cow. When I didn't have Happy, the Happy Cow app with me in Tokyo, I couldn't find anything to eat. It's really hard because the city's massive and you have to have this map like Happy Cow to be able to find those restaurants. In Poland, if you're in the one section of Poland I was talking about in Warsaw, you can just walk around and stumble across a vegan restaurant after vegan restaurant after vegan restaurant. So yeah, these numbers are a little bit misleading, but uh, you know, Berlin, Warsaw, Czech Republic, Prague, um, just a phenomenal place. So that corridor between Berlin and, and Warsaw, if you're gonna go to one place in Europe and sort of hover around an area in Europe, to me, those are the places to go for sure. Um, just phenomenal. That's uh, quite amazing to hear because you know I'm, I grew up pretty close to to that corridor. I'm I'm from Slovenia originally, okay. and I don't think that my my old country is quite up there yet with, not, with the vegan. It's not on our radar yet. Uh, Czech Republic is, uh, Slovenia is not. But it, you know, most places in this world are growing, including uh, Slovenia. Um, it's uh, I'll have to actually look. So we we usually determine the places we're going to go based on density of vegan restaurants. So, so there are certain places that obviously vegans want to go to or, or, or that would 
that have more vegan restaurants and there are places that aren't so vegan friendly in this world and i've also been to those places so what what, what are some of those you know just so we're not keeping it all completely rainbows and unicorns um, yeah what, what are Let's some some I, of the bad places here, that you've seen as i ring up my chart so um last year I can say that uh, a couple of places that I had a little more difficult finding really good vegan food in was uh, Serbia, was Belgrade. Belgrade, I had some mm -hmm. trouble. But uh, of the places that I think I had some of the most trouble, I, 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 I don't, uh, I hope no one's watching uh, this from uh, Argentina, or Buenos Aires, but Buenos Aires has a lot of vegan restaurants. There's a number of them, and I was pleasantly surprised to see how many there were because I had heard it was the beef capital and everyone eats meat down there. But Buenos Aires was not necessarily – I mean, there were a couple of good vegan restaurants there, but I just found that maybe they can use some work on the quality of their vegan food down in Buenos Aires. I thought it could use a little bit of work. Yet I went to Uruguay last year as well, their neighboring country, and I went to this phenomenal uh, vegan restaurant, uh, Rapsi Liquidos. Uh, it, was, it was like incredible. And I actually did a video on it, uh, which I posted on our Happy Cow YouTube channel. So uh, Buenos Aires was, you know, I, I thought I could use a little bit of work. But of all the regions I've been to in the world where I just didn't know what to do was uh, southern Chile, the Patagonia region. I was there last year, mm -hmm. uh, April, I think, uh, March, March or April, around there. Um, boy, that was a tough one. I ended up eating uh, at quite a few places. I would, I would just get boiled potatoes and put hot sauce on them. Um, I, I just, I just couldn't, couldn't do right in, in Southern Chile. I, I was just having so many problems finding. And when, when I found vegan food, I just, oh boy, oh, it was not my favorite place to be. Uh, the, the scenery is gorgeous. I would recommend you go to Chile, but I'd recommend if you go to Chile, eat a lot of myrta berries, which are these indigenous, these berries that people eat down there. They're absolutely delicious. Um, there were blackberries on the side of the road occasionally, those I ate, but the restaurants just weren't really doing it for me. Sorry. So that's that's when you have to resort to to the usual travel tricks right. as you know, ordering four portions of rice, absolutely, absolutely. boiled potatoes or, or stuff like that. What what are some of your favorite um, travel tricks to to get by? Oh sure. Um, one of them is uh, is choosing certain foods wisely. Uh, before you even get on that airplane, make sure in your suitcase there are a number of foods that are easily stored and can be traveled with easily. Um, one of my tips that I give in my speech around the world, which, which has changed slightly, is grapes. You know, you can you know, bring your grapes on the airplane. They help, help to keep you hydrated. You usually can't bring them into another country, but it's a great tip just to keep you hydrated on an airplane. You know, airplane food isn't the greatest. And as an eco-vegan kind of guy, there's so much waste in, in, on the airplane as far as all the packaging and stuff that they use. The food's usually not that good. So I recommend, you know, I'll bring some nuts and grapes. Now, I brought some grapes onto a flight uh, pretty recently, and uh, I was stopped at security because I, they, they thought I was carrying some sort of radioactive device or, or, or some sort of either radioactive or, uh, or uh, an explosive device. And I wasn't sure which it was. I found out it was a because the woman initially said you have a radioactive device. I said I I, I don't. She said oh it's uh you have a uh, explosive device. I said I don't. She says are you sure? What's in that bag? So they end up you know uh, taking uh you know that little swab and they swab my bag of organic red grapes. They swab them and they found that there was a lot of fertilizer on them. Well, mm -hmm. well. They're, I mean, it's an organic grape, maybe they're, but you know, I, I bought these at like, uh, you know, a, a health food store here and they were organic grapes. But so it, it cost me about 30 minutes at the gate, trying to get through the gate with my organic grapes with fertilizer on them. So now it's like, do you buy non-organic grapes? You just wash them thoroughly. So I think what I'm going to do next time is I'll just wash them thoroughly. I figured I, I didn't want to wash them because they might not keep as long, but I'll, I'll wash them now. So that's one tip. Some other tips as far as restaurants go is, assume nothing. Uh, I was in, I mean, the last experience I remember, I was in Mexico and I ordered, you know, sushi, vegetarian sushi. Well, vegetarian sushi, if, as you know, as vegans, we sort of know if you're going to get vegetarian sushi, it's usually the nori roll. Um, and inside of the nori roll is rice and vegetables. Well, in the Mexican sushi, there was this white stuff. And I asked, what is this white stuff? And he says, oh, that's cream cheese. Cream cheese and sushi. Mm -hmm. So what happens is, is 
you can't assume anything. Um, you can't assume that the pasta that you're eating is doesn't contain eggs. You know, um, I used to think, you know, if you got pasta marinara, you were good to go. It's what is pasta marinara? Oh, it's pasta, which is flour and water, and it's marinara sauce, which is tomatoes, basil, garlic, and onions, and maybe a little olive oil, right? Not true in certain countries. A marinara sauce often has fish sauce in it, which I, you know, learned. Um, the pasta often has egg in it. I learned in, uh, I was interviewing someone, you can see in a YouTube video, someone that was on MTV Italy, and she was talking about strutto, which is a fat that they use in pizza bread, in the pizza dough. And strutto is actually pork lard. So I thought, well, if you get pizza with vegetables, that's vegan, right? Well, you know, I could go into a whole, you know, long about what veganism is, why I'm vegan, why we should be vegan. But if you're looking to stay away from eggs and you're looking to stay away from all of these, you know, fish and everything else, you can't be too careful. I mean, around the world, you you, you can use, um, which I use, uh, the it's called the Vegan Passport. It was put out by the Vegan Society. I don't know if they put it out anymore, but it's the Vegan Passport. And in just about every language in the world, in a hard copy and a, or a soft copy, you can get, it's a paper copy, you can open it up and you can show them the page of their language, uh, whether it's French mm -hmm. or Spanish or Hindu, and just show them the page. And it says, I am vegan, I eat this, I don't eat this. But there's one page in that book, which is amazing. It's a simple page. It's a happy face and a sad face. And on the happy face, it basically is all the stuff you can't eat. It has pictures of um, uh, you know, vegetables and things like that and, and just all. And on this page, on the sad face, they show Little, a bee with a hive showing honey, they show eggs, they show meat, and they show all the things you can eat with a frown face. So even if people can't speak the language, they still can, you know, if, if, or if they can't read, which I've actually run into, which they can't yeah. read. They just don't, or, or maybe I'm just not, maybe I'm not on the right page of their language. I don't know. But they look at it and they're like confused. When I show them that page, it works every time. So that's a good tip. I took a picture of it with my phone too. So I can always have it on my phone as a graphic and I can just show people and they, they get it when they see that. And they also probably think I'm, I'm really weird. So. Yeah, well, but that that's kind of the... It goes along with the territory. The cost of... Goes along with being vegan at, at the moment. I mean, things definitely are changing. And just the, the amount of restaurants that you have on your website is definitely testament to that. Right. Um, now, if we just take it back to, to restaurant business, one big question I, I have for you as well was... What you, you mentioned this right at the beginning that you were looking at people who are opening restaurants and then closing them in a year or so. And I do remember that, yeah, the turnover used to be a lot higher with, with vegan food places. What, what's the true yes, potential right. right now for a vegan restaurant? What makes it successful and what brings in visitors and, of course, high reviews on, on Happy Cow too? Oh, that's what a really good question. Um, you know, I don't know the exact formula, but I have been observing it over the years. You know, I, I'm not a drinker, but one thing that I've noticed is, and I've learned this from many restaurants, is serving alcohol at restaurants seems to help the restaurants. There is vegan alcohol. Some people, as vegans, don't believe in alcohol and don't believe we should ever drink it. But a lot of money is made from alcohol sales. And I've seen that sort of restaurants that do the full bar with the vegan food often have a greater tendency to survive. And for me, it's like, look, I'm not a drinker, but if you need to serve alcohol to survive and serve people vegan food, you know, I say do it. Um, I've seen, we've seen, unfortunately in Los Angeles, we've seen a lot of the raw food restaurants go away, a lot of them. Why are they going away? I have my theories. One of my theories is perhaps uh, vegans are sometimes uh, more earthy type people who like to cook at home, who maybe don't drink as much, um, who are maybe a, a little wiser, uh, maybe a little more spendthrift. I mean, I'm just talking from the people that are around me. I know people that are vegan that also spend a lot of money, but perhaps the raw restaurants, because of the amount of food preparation, they're considered to be quite costly. And perhaps people go once on special occasion and don't go again. At least I know a lot of my friends will say, I'd love to go to this raw food restaurant and patronize their business, but it gets to be expensive to go on a regular basis. So, you know, that's one thing. But yet, 
There's a restaurant in Los Angeles that's quite expensive uh, called uh, Crossroads. It's Tal Ronan's restaurant. It's a phenomenal restaurant. It's a vegan restaurant. It looks like your typical like New York cool chic restaurant. It's really good. The food is just the best in the world, if not the best in the world. He's doing extremely well. I mean, it's hard to get a table at his restaurant. He's been open for a number of years now. Um, it's, it's, it's image. He's catering to a high end crowd. And I think or, a, a, you know, a crowd that spends a lot of money. And I think one of the reasons for his success is that, first of all, his food is phenomenal. Secondly, I went around and I asked a lot of people in the restaurant, just as, for my own survey, are you vegan? And the answer was no for the most of the people. So I figured if a lot of these people are going, if they're, if they're able to attract the mainstream just because the food is good, not because it's healthy, not because the food's just great. I took my cousin there, um, who is my mom's cousin. He's quite old, quite old. Um, he's probably 85 years old. Um, and he said that it was, you know, Crossroads was the best restaurant he had ever eaten at. He is, he's not anti-vegan, but he's not the kind of guy who would ever go to a vegan restaurant. This is the first vegan restaurant he, he had ever gone to because he didn't want to go until I finally talked him into it. And that was a, probably six months ago. So that is the type of crowd that they're catering to. So my feeling is that those restaurants that succeed are those that have really amazing food um, that cater to price ranges, to attract the non You know, that's really important. I, I think that my impression is that doesn't go just for restaurants, it goes for vegan food businesses in, in general. What they should be focusing on is the much larger potential customer base of people who are open to this type of food or who, like your mom's cousin, yes, don't even think about stepping into a vegan restaurant or eating something vegan, but you simply present it to them in a way that doesn't even contain the word vegan. Yes, yeah. It just is very Plant-based is sort of the new term that people are floating around, plant-based. But... You know, it really is important to do that. You know, a restaurant business is a business. And I've consulted personally vegan, uh, restaurants to help them to go more vegan. And then I've helped them to make more money. And I've helped to build a, a vegan buffet here in Los Angeles. And what I saw is you just got to do an incredible amount of marketing. You can't just sit there with good food and think people are going to come. You have to, it's a it's a real business. So uh, another thing is because vegan restaurants are sort of on the fringe and they're, they're, they're new types of restaurants, they're more new types of restaurants. I think that if you look at uh, types of restaurants that have been around for many years, you know, steak restaurants, even Chinese, Japanese, uh, a lot of times, you know, there's, there's just people are used to those. Not in Los Angeles, it's a little bit different. But if you go to Texas or go to the place or if you go to Missouri, if you go to Kansas, certain you know, place in rural areas of Texas, um, what you find is that people are pretty conservative and they like Chinese, maybe Japanese, maybe Indian, but mostly American food. And so one restaurant uh, chain that's been growing tremendously is Veggie Grill here in, in the U.S. It's growing around the United States. They don't use the word vegan in their literature. It's all pla it's plant based at most. When you walk in, it's just it just says veggie grill, and you just start ordering, and you don't necessarily think it's a vegan restaurant. It's a it's a fast food restaurant, and so they yeah. done a taken a different different angle. And I, I think fast food is just one of those huge huge potential markets that's just now being really tapped into by by the likes of Veggie Grill and others. I mean. There's there's heaps of vegan burger stands around the, the whole world and, and burger shops, but right. actual fast food chains. Uh huh. I think there's huge potential there. Yeah, I do too. And I'm seeing, you know, uh, there's this new, uh, uh, there's a couple of new burgers out there. There's the Beyond Burger and then there's the Impossible Burger. And, you know, mm -hmm. these are companies and vegan meat and cheese companies in general. It's a huge business and it's growing tremendously. I know Miyoko's Kitchen, which has this phenomenal vegan cheese, just got $6 million investment. Not a huge investment, but a sizable investment to grow her business. Um, Impossible Burgers is now finally launching at some cha chains around the country. Um, there, That's the, the burger that bleeds, if you've heard about it. The Beyond Burger is another yeah, burger that bleeds. 
But it's basically what these companies are doing and what these restaurants are doing, they're catering to people's diets that, that people know. They're, they're catering to burger eaters, meat eaters. For years, that's what people in the United States ate. They ate burgers and hot dogs, burgers, french fries. Those type of restaurants, those fast food type of restaurants seem to be doing well. And emulating the, the mouthfeel and the flavors of those foods seem to be something that is creating, a, you know, a, a, just a, a new era of veganism. It's, it's basically changing things without actually appearing to, to change things. That's right. You're That's giving right. something different, but in, in an old and That's exactly convenient right. packaging that people are used to. That's right. That's right. And that's what their, their, their attempt is to just take people. Uh, a lot of it could be just nostalgic value, comfort food, people, they're used to it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen, I've had the Beyond Burger at Veggie Grill. I've had the Impossible Burger at Crossroads and... It's pretty. It's pretty amazing. These things do taste like like meat. Um, but honestly, I, I haven't had meat in so long. I'm not sure if they taste like meat, so I can't really say. But they just taste good. They're great. Yeah. So, if if we just kind of wrap it up now, since we are talking about all all this potential, what where do you see everything? heading and what what is your role and the role of happy cow in in the future that you're creating like what's your best case scenario for the world in 10 or 20 years down the road okay i will say i i was privy to see uh i, I saw a documentary the other day that's not out yet i'll have to give a plug for this documentary it's the same guys who did cowspiracy it's called what the hell what the hell what the hell I think it. I think it actually is out. I mean, we out? we bought it online last week. Yeah. Okay. So I think it it was just launched a week okay. or two ago. I don't know if it's yes. publicly available yet. I know private screenings are being shown right now. But anyway, did you see it? Yes. yes. So yes. I think documentaries like that. I thought it was phenomenally done. But I think documentaries like that documentary are going to really start to show people that what they've been doing is not working it's not working from a health perspective it's not working from a planetary perspective i think the more t more of these type of documentaries that we see that are that compelling the more we're going to see radical change if you go up to a 25 year old female today and you just walk up to her and say are you vegan the answer usually is how did you know and <laughs> i've done it before i have literally done it in front of people And the fact is, is so many 25, 22, 23-year-old females are just becoming vegan. That is the next generation of people that are becoming vegan. So as I see it, more and more people are starting to see these documentaries, which were just not available. I did not know about a lot of things that were in that movie. So I think as they become more vegan, I think as the world starts to realize what's going on in these factory farms, as far as our health goes, as far as... Uh, pharmaceutical companies funding major institutions in this country. You'll have to see the movie to figure out what I'm talking about. It's unbelievable that these the meat companies and the pharmaceutical companies are funding you know, health sites that are promoting health. Um, but as more people find out about these things, I think more people are going to become vegan. They're going to give up all meat products, all fish products. You know, they talked about in that movie fish as uh, mercury sponges. So As I see it, the world's going to become more and more vegan. Um, Happy Cow will be there to help people to find the vegan and vegetarian restaurants and health food stores around the world. Um, I, I think that as far as the, the quality of food is going up is at vegan restaurants. I've seen a major shift in terms of the quality and types of vegan food available internationally. I'm seeing vegan food in countries that... You know, as I said, Warsaw, who would have thought 10 years ago, Warsaw would be a vegan capital. This was the sausage capital of the world. What about Bogota, Colombia? Nobody even went down to Bogota. It wasn't even safe enough to walk into. Now they have 45 vegan restaurants in Bogota. It's unbelievable. Um, it's, so yeah, it's growing everywhere. It's growing in small towns. And I think the internet in of itself is creating a whole new, uh, a whole new group of vegans out there. Um, a lot of the Facebook videos that I see humanize animals. They sort of show animals as sentient creatures who have emotions like we do. They, they compare a pig with a dog and they have dogs playing with pigs in videos. Growing up, I never knew that a dog would ever want to play with a pig. 
But when you see the two playing together and you realize that God, that the pig is wagging his tail, just like the dog, you start to recognize that, wait a minute, I have a dog. I don't eat my dog. Why would I eat that pig? So I think more and more of these videos, more and more Facebook and social media and are going to feed into the vegan cause. And then, and then, you know, happy cow is going to be there to help people to find these restaurants and health food stores much more easily. And eventually, you know, we could see ourselves, you know, just pushing out all the veg friendly places on the site. The reason we have veg friendly places on the site is there are towns that don't have any vegan or vegetarian restaurants. So we include those for people that don't want to travel more than six blocks from their house. So, you know, but we could become the vegan restaurant guide if the whole world becomes vegan and just be, you know, basically honing on that. I think it's going to be a while. You'll, you'll basically be a restaurant guide at that point. Yeah, right? I mean, we're, we're a ways away from going that direction, but we have been more selective. We have delisted restaurants that maybe just have a couple of vegan items. We've taken them off if there's a number of vegetarian and vegan restaurants surrounding them. So we sort of keep it as places that, that we would like to go to. Yeah. And what's going to happen with the 25-year-old males? I, I didn't hear anything about them. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. You know, I've done some leafletting. I've given out brochures on Third Street Promenade, Santa Monica. And one thing I notice is when I hand them to, like when I see a 16-year-old female, she's my target because she's impressionable and she can easily be brainwashed into doing the right thing. So when I walk over to her and I show her and I start talking to her and I give her a couple of tidbits, I can see her thinking to herself, oh my God, what am I doing? This is horrible. The guys, maybe it's a testosterone thing. The guys are not converting at the, as fast of a rate. I think, what is it, 80% of vegans are female, 20% are males. Um, another thing um, with the males that I've noticed is, uh, you know, as far as the bodybuilding, a lot of times, and we all notice this, look at me, I'm not the fattest guy in the world, We're skinny guys, a lot of the vegans. Now, not all guys are, are skinny. I, I, if you saw my YouTube, YouTube channel or on the Happy Cow YouTube channel, I interviewed Patrick Boboumian. Mm -hmm. He lifted uh, 550 kilos above his head, 35 feet, and has the world record for lifting the most weight, the most distance. You know, he's a big guy. So I think as more and more uh, people like Patrick, more and more athletes that are huge become vegan and talk about being vegan, which is happening right now. There are athletes right now that are showing us that you can be vegan and incredibly strong and stronger than even being vegetarian. You can be stronger on the vegan diet. I think that's going to help to convert a lot of the men over um, to veganism. But it is, you know, I, I don't see it quite as much, but I'm, I'm seeing more and more of it. I'm seeing a lot of young guys who are cool guys who are becoming vegan. Oh, that's it's there's still hope for for guys as well. That that's good to know. Oh yeah, of course, of course, yeah. <laughs> oh, I think it's, it's there are different angles, different angles. You know, for females, perhaps it's more weight. You know, keeping your weight off and having that lean look. And for guys, it's more buff and keeping your muscle tone. Mm -hmm. So you know, each each audience of people that I talk to, you can convince them to become vegan. You know, a lot of them to become vegan, but you have to go about it in a slightly different way. Yeah. I, I totally get you. Cool. Ken, now, last thing. If anyone who doesn't know about Happy Cow yet wants to find you, wants to support you in any way, or if, like we were talking about, they have any ideas that they want to throw your way, where do you go and um, how, how can they find you? How can they get in touch? Yeah, I would say just right through the Happy Cow website, we are extremely responsive. Um, you can also find us at uh, facebook.com slash happy cow. We're basically happy cow or happy cow guide on all the social media networks. You'll find us if you just put happy cow in. Um, but I'd say that would be the best way. If, you, if anyone has any ideas for us, any suggestions for us, we love suggestions. We love ideas. Can we implement all of them? No, but we do love them. By the way, I was going to get back to the statistics, which I can't, I, I can't pull up right now. I, I, I could do it, but it would take me time to, I could download this app for my tablet now. But uh, as far as the statistics go, we will be updating the statistics. And I probably shouldn't even mention it right now, but we will be updating them. We have a new number one as far as the, the, the place that has the number one, uh, the most vegan restaurants in the world. Or actually, it may have been number one this last time, but the top 10 is definitely changed as far as vegan restaurants in the world. But you'll be able to see that on Happy Cow. So I don't even have to talk about it now. So coming very soon, and you just need to check out the app. Oh, yeah, it'll be coming soon. Yeah, we'll be updating that soon. Okay, perfect. Ken, thank you so much for joining me today. 
Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Re really glad that that we got to to share all this. And if anyone has any ideas for you, just get in touch. Absolutely, we'd love it. Perfect. Thank you so much. Have an awesome day. Hey, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day, and thank all thanks to all of you for watching. Bye. <laughs> bye bye. Okay, that was Ken Spector with the Happy Cow. As always, you'll find the links to everything that we talked about, all the brands we mentioned, to all the websites and all the places, and of course, all the contact details in the show notes. And those are available if you type in the plantbasedentrepreneur.com forward slash show forward slash episode 022 in your browser. Or if you simply go to our website, theplantbasedentrepreneur.com, and you search for episode 22. Now, like I told you at the beginning, that website is also where you can download your copy of our insider report on the best plant-based business opportunities in 2017. And if you want to get in touch, if you want to send in your comments, give us any suggestions for future episodes, you can either connect with me directly on Instagram at jerry underscore saver or flick me an email on jerry at theplantbasedentrepreneur.com. I always love hearing from you. I read all the emails and I really like reading about the impact that this show is making on your life and on your business. Now, that's all for today. I will talk to you again real soon. And until then, stay awesome. And remember, the future is plant-based.